0: CBS News is now projecting former Vice President Joe Biden will be the
1: 46th president of these
0: United States.
1: The best is yet to come. At this hour, my friends, democracy has prevailed.
0: Hello and welcome to the Right House with me, Matt Shaw, editor of The Locust, and Alaraza Manji, journalist at CGS News with experience in digital
2: media. How are you doing, Alaraza? I'm doing really well, Matt. Uh, I'm really excited to be on this podcast with you. I really am looking forward to discussing, I guess, US politics. You know, I've taken my parachute off. I'm on the White House. I want to see what we can get into today. All
0: right. Well, thank you to everyone for tuning in to the first episode. Uh, Let me break down the structure for you really quickly. We've got three different segments, and each one gives us a different kind of way uh, to discuss some big stories in US politics. So, to start off, we've got Kickstart, which is just. It's kind of a regular old discussion so let's let's get into it
2: so i think first up on kickstart this week it is of course joe biden's inauguration he is of course the new president of the united states with kamala harris who's the new vice president of the united states she is the first african-american and indian-american uh to be vice president so it's, it's a lot of history in the making going on right here But of course, that's old news. What we want to talk about today is what he's done in the last 10 days. And Matt, in the last 10 days, I've got to tell you, he's been very busy. He's put together 42 executive orders. What do you think about that?
0: Yeah, I saw some people, I saw a tweet about 20 minutes ago. Uh, Somebody said, um, oh, you know, Biden's the real dictator. Look how many executive orders he's done in like 10 days. Um, But of course, most of that is just basically reversing Trump's
2: yeah it's it, it, it's an interesting state of affairs of course because with an executive order you don't always allocate money you, you know you can they, they can just be executive actions they can be a case of telling people that you're changing policy or you're changing direction you know you're, you're doing different things at different points but it you know like you said this is a lot about reversing the trump era and i think that's very important so for example one of the key ones is he's put together his executive board on strengthening medicaid and the affordable care act to force which this was barack obama's landmark legislation um and you know this this is gonna put it in place where it re re uh reopens enrollment and on healthcare.gov which is the website for healthcare nationally in the states and it allows federal agencies to re-examine policies and they can uh allowing allow more people to get access but of course one of some of the biggest things in the biden manifesto was the environment which of course you know Donald Trump famously pulled out the Paris Accords and, you know, much to the dismay of the rest of the world, I have to say. Uh, so, you know, he, he's put together an executive order on this where he's tackling the climate change at home and abroad, where he wants to make it the centre point of US foreign policy because he says, says it's a threat to national security. I mean, do you agree with the president's decision here? I think he's absolutely right. I think it's, it's one of those threats that's been building
0: up for so long that people aren't thinking of it. In the right way but it absolutely is a threat to national security i mean if it continues to deteriorate the way it does they've got a really like real problem on their hands at this point uh, did you see by the way the ted cruz tweet straight after that uh, announcement of biden's executive order
2: yeah so here, here we have mr ted cruz of course who supported trump and this is what mr ted cruz said on the day of the inauguration just a few hours after congratulating joe biden on becoming president. By rejoining the Paris Climate Agreement, President Biden indicates he's more interested in the views of the citizens of Paris than in the jobs of the citizens of Pittsburgh. This agreement will, have, will do little to affect the climate and will harm the livelihoods of Americans. Well, what do you think of that, Matt? Uh, what do you think of Mr Ted Cruz's statement? I'm not sure he understands the Paris Climate Agreement.
0: Um, it doesn't, it's not really for Paris. <laughs>
2: I, I, I don't think I've ever had to clarify this for someone, but I did have to put out a tweet at the time just to, uh, you know, let people know that, uh, you know, this, this, this agreement is is for um, everyone. Uh, so yeah, uh, this is a tweet I had to put out about this, and I, you know, I, I'm not one to plug myself, but I have to tell you, the Paris Accords are a global agreement between 194 countries, which has been ratified by 188 countries, and specifically, it is not for the city of Paris alone. Of course they are included in it of course. Um,
0: Yeah I mean you better if you follow the Geneva Convention you actually care more about the citizens of Geneva than you do about anything else that's that's the way it works wherever you sign it is the people that you care about.
2: Well I'm I'm sure that uh, COP26 happening later this year in the UK will be all about the UK then I'm looking very much forward to that as a Brit (laughs) (laughs) but Moving forward from what Ted Cruz had to say, I think other executive orders, which have been really interesting, of course, are about the impact of the George Floyd murder, which happened last year. George Floyd lit the world on fire in many ways, and he, there were protests across the world with his name on it, and justifiably so, of course, after what was barbaric. So a lot of the, a lot of Trump's, uh, a lot of Joe Biden, of course, uh, wanted to do what, what he wanted to do in his manifesto. He said he wants to. You know, get rid of racial inequality. He wants to make uh, America a fairer place. He wants to make it a better place for, for uh, Black Americans and, of course, for ethnic minorities in general. And it, it does show because he's very well supported by ethnic minorities. Uh, just uh, in the recent election, of course, in the presidential election, he won 87% uh, of Black voters, which, of course, the only person to really ever top that was Barack Obama in 2008, who had 95%. So I think a lot of these executive orders that he's put in place are, you know, showing that change in direction and policy, if not always supporting with money. And I think that is the that is a good place to start for Joe Biden, wouldn't you agree? Absolutely. And it's what it's exactly what people wanted
0: him to do. It's the reason he was voted in. So it's nice to see straight away that he's doing something about it. There were I know there were a lot of people, me included, that worried that he might be too centrist, he might get elected and then not really do any of the things he said he would, um, unless he was really heavily pressured. But it's nice to see he's almost straight away just started following the promises.
2: Yeah, so I'm going to, I'm going to give you one example of what an executive order he's put in place on this. Exact. It's called the Executive Order on Advancing Racial Equity and Support for Undeserved Communities Through, through the Federal Government. Effectively, this this res, uh, rescinds the Trump administration's 1776 commission and directs agencies to review their actions to ensure that there's racial equity within his own government. And that's a great place to start. You know, leading from the top is something that, of course, is very debated in U.S. politics. You know, small government, big government. But the idea, and at least the way he's condemning uh, xenophobia, racism, and he wants people to know that you know, we want equality, I think is a great place to start. And of course, having Kamala Harris standing alongside him really shows that as well. Um, So I I think we're seeing something from the Biden administration where they've come into power with a plan. They know exactly what they want to do in some ways, and they are getting off to a good start uh, in both climate change, equity, and of course, fighting the coronavirus, which is the biggest topic of them all right now. Absolutely. A
0: historic start as well.
2: Yeah. Uh, So, you know, moving forwards, I think, I think a key thing is Trump's lasting legacy. Uh, And I think it's important that we talk about it because Trump's legacy is an interesting one. He came in in 2016 talking about wanting to drain the swamp, you know, fight for America. Uh, And in some ways, I guess it's rude of me to say, but he did get parts of America to fight for him in the events we saw at the Capitol building.
0: The damage he's caused to his own party, though, is unbelievable. Um, the the actual irreparable damage that's been caused to the GOP, or in their minds, maybe it's not damage because it's so far, it's, you know, kind of working. The the election we just had, uh, Joe Biden won, it was decisive, but it was close enough that I think they still consider this approach effective. Do you think he's damaged it beyond repair here or...?
2: Well, it's it's an interesting case you put forward here because it's it, the GOP are, really are in a very difficult place. The Republican Party is in disarray. They are in different camps, divided among what their loyalties are. You know, the GOP for whatever you took them for, George Bush's, Ronald Reagan's, whatever your views were to them, they were loyal to America. They were Americans. And it's an interesting case you put forward here because now you've got a case where You've got the Trumpites, if I can call them that, I suppose. And then you've also got those which are thinking, well, I'm loyal to the Constitution, like Mike Pence. I mean, the, we saw Mike Pence unfollow Donald Trump. Can we just put, put that into context? The Vice <laughs> President of the United States decided to unfollow, on Twitter, the main platform, of course, of the President of the United States. It's, it's, it's there it's aren't words. Yes. tired.
0: Yeah. tired of the constant notifications, man.
2: Yeah, I, I too. Um, of course, President Trump asks me all the time. Uh, but <laughs> the GOP really are struggling here. And We have to keep in mind that there are midterms going to be coming up soon. Of course, it's it's a constant cycle. Uh, John Thune, I think, is going to be going up for re-election at the at the midterms coming up, and he's he's the representative of South Dakota. South Dakota, of course, voted even more in favor this time for President Trump. So you can imagine what's going through his head. You know what he he, he said he said on an, in an interview that you know he. He feels that it's difficult. He he thinks that what Trump did was obviously wrong and it should be condemned. But in his view, it should be left to public opinion and not to senators, or it should be left to the courts, because he says it says it sets a very dangerous precedent if you impeach uh, and you convict rather. The,
0: the, the, this the is president my, of
2: the United States.
0: This is my problem with that kind of argument. This this idea that it sets a bad precedent for the Senate to step in, um, especially since Trump's out of office, or so that it sets a bad precedent because they don't quite believe it was impeachable all this I, I really I can't wrap my head around it because it doesn't set a bad precedent it sets a really really bad precedent if they don't hold somebody accountable who needs to be held accountable especially because he's still got such a heavy base of support so if he chooses to run again which I absolutely wouldn't be surprised by he's probably not going to learn a lesson if you don't teach him that he has to follow the rules and the Constitution so that's my that's my big problem with that kind, of, that kind of argument, and I get that they're in a tough spot because they've got voters who love Trump and don't think he should be impeached, but they're lawmakers and they know full well that the law should be upheld. So I think it's a, it's a tough spot. What would you do if you were a Republican lawmaker?
2: Well, first of all, I'd be drinking a lot of coffee or alcohol, I suppose, um, <laughs> drowning my sorrows in different ways uh they really are in a very tough spot you know you've got of course those that helped to impeach president trump in the house they've been getting a lot of backlash lately unfortunately well or fortunately i suppose depending on your point of view but they've been getting a lot of backlash are the ones that decided to throw out president trump and support uh the claims of impeach uh nancy pelosi's impeachment um and of course, then you've got to, and then you've got the of Trumpites, as I said, and then you've also got those like Mitch McConnell who are stuck in the middle. I mean, what would your thought? What what do you think Mitch McConnell's thinking right now? He's very he, he kind of goes with
0: the wind. You know what I mean? He, he seems to just follow the popular direction of things. He's on the one hand, he is shrewd. I know there's this belief that he's some mastermind, and I, I know he's kind of he's a shrewd politician. But on the other hand, I don't think he's uh, it's, it's like Trump again I don't think he's as smart as people make out. Uh, what would I be thinking if I was Mitch McConnell jeez he's in it he's in a really tough spot. Uh, if I were him i would uh, I'd lay quite low to be honest
2: well, he hasn't been doing that of course well because uh, uh, um Democrats have recently won i suppose i guess you could call it a victory for them over the filibuster the filibuster notably is the process where you can talk the time out of a bill nonstop and i'm pretty sure. If facts serve me correctly, uh, the longest filibuster in the US was for what a man was by J. Strom Thurmond in 1957, who talked for 24 hours and 18 minutes against the Civil Rights Act of 1957.
0: Actually quite impressive
2: in a horrible way. (laughs) I mean, do you think you can talk for 24 hours and 18 minutes nonstop?
0: Did he actually, did he not take, he must have taken a break, surely?
2: No, no, he has to keep talking. It's the rules of the game. <laughs> 24 hours, no sleep, all talk. It's impressive when you think about it.
0: <laughs> I, it's a shame he put so much passion into objecting the civil rights movement.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you put it like that, it, it has a very different spin to it, I suppose. Um, <laughs> but yeah, uh, I guess we can talk about Mitch McConnell here, where he's given up over the filibuster, over the process, which means that you know. If, if the Democrats wanted to change the rules, they could have done so. They would have to get a two-thirds majority, but they could get rid of the filibuster. And it is a very popular thing amongst Democrats to get rid of, of course. Uh, the other option is, of course, what we call the nuclear option, which is whereby a simple majority in the Senate can allow you to pass something. So 50, 51, 50, the, the last vote, of course, coming from the Vice President Kamala Harris, who oversees as President pro tempore. Um, she would be able to pass any bill with a simple majority. It's been used in 2013 by the Democrats and more recently by Mitch McConnell in 2017 uh, when trying to confirm, when confirming, rather, a judicial appointment. It's a hot-button issue. (laughs) It's going to be interesting because I think there's been been a lot of discussion where where the Democrats should really be using this to pass policy. Uh, You know, just recently, um, Senator... Senator Bernie Sanders from Vermont was saying, you know, we're doing it for the right reasons. That's what he that's what he was giving the idea of, you know, he, he didn't like the idea that they did it back then. And he was famously said that he didn't like it back then that they were using to pass a judicial appointment, which is, of course, huge, because it lasts longer than presidencies in most cases. But he said, in this case, it was for the right reasons for the right policies, and they wanted to get stuff done. And I think with that in mind uh it's 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 going to be an interesting few months for mitch mcconnell because of course they will have to come up to come up with an agreement about you know office space of course we need to know which offices they get in the senate building you know Chuck Schumer, mitch mcconnell very mitch important senate. very important of course it's the, it's the it's the reason why we care about the senate
0: <laughs> do you know on this on this topic you know i think it, it's a really difficult one they've got themselves into because these things that they're passing or that they're wanting to pass, and kind of almost, I guess you could say, force through the Senate, they're not exactly unpopular things. These they're pushing very popular policies, um, especially the COVID uh, nineteen, the one point nine trillion COVID nineteen deal. Um, you know, all these kind of policies that they've promised to pursue, they're not unpopular at all. They have bipartisan support, so it's it's almost in Republicans' interest to just. Show unity, which they keep going on about, and um, and and go along with these things instead of trying to block them at every turn.
2: Yeah, and of course that's been one of the problems with the Senate uh, for a long time, and, and generally Congress in general. You know, it, you've had a lot of success in passing bills, but it's been become increasingly divided and toxic, as I suppose is the nature of U.S. politics in some sense. But that's an argument for another day. I think what I really want to talk and touch on today is in our in our reality check segment is the stock market or what i would and famously the subreddit uh which decided to you know screw over wall street it's called gamestop which is a company which started in texas and has got branches all over the us uh their stock was very low uh and i'm going to start calling them i'm going to call them gamestop from now on because i think it works really well but i want to know matt i know you invested in this little in this venture so how did you feel about screwing over Wall Street?
0: <laughs> yeah, I yeah, I should I should be upfront about it uh, for the listeners. I have money in GameStop right now. Um, because I think it's uh, I like the stock, you know. I like the stock. And also I think it's important to stand up and uh, and, and push against this movement that's been going on uninhibited for decades. Well, I, I, I can't think of any time that Wall Street's been punished properly for anything they've done, so I think in this case, it's perfectly fair. All I think all it is that really is that they overextended their position. They were, you know, exposed, and people took advantage of that. And it's essentially just playing them at their own game and beating them. And they don't like that at all.
2: Well, I can tell you they pretty much don't because I can. I, I think the lowest I saw game the GameStop stock at was around three dollars uh would you like to take a guess of what it was yesterday at close of play
0: oh let me think the last time i saw it it was at something like 315
2: dollars well you're close it was 328 dollars and of course this is a very interesting uh you know concept and of course it's this this this, this subreddit was called um wall street bets uh and they basically managed to inflate the stock stock prices the game stock because uh these hedge fund owners they wanted to keep it low and when they decided to push it down all of these people came together and organized on a subreddit and decided to buy at the same time boosting the stock shares so high like unimaginably high and it's made part-time traders very rich i've read i read somewhere that it's made two billion pounds for the three main organizers of this two billion they won't be working again, I imagine.
0: Yeah, that's some serious money. And it's they, they just had the foresight to get in early. Um, I wish I'd had the foresight to get in far earlier. But uh, you, you mentioned they're organising. That's an interesting one because the, the SEC has said that it's monitoring the situation, although whether or not they'll do anything about it is is yet to be seen. But they've said that they're monitoring, it, and I know that there's a lot of pressure on them to do something because uh, Wall Street isn't happy and Wall Street tends to get what it wants. Um, But I think while it was technically organized, it wasn't like they planned as a group to manipulate the markets as much as they all just said, this is an opportunity for people to take if they want to take it. So I think it's, and also there's also that there's the argument to say that Wall Street constantly manipulates the markets and they never get punished for it. So it's, it's unfair, I think, to, uh, to investigate these people for essentially just noticing a really good investment.
2: Yeah, and I think, I think I've got a comment here on, what, on the subreddit, and it was from one of the key people involved in the meme of the stock. And you know, he, he said, I've never seen anything like what's happening with GME before, and I don't think I'll ever see it again. It's a big moment, a tug of war between tradition and the future hedge fund managers live in the past and continue to look down upon retail investors. They truly believe that we, the average retail investors, don't know anything about finances or the market, which may be true, but we're just gambling and we're just gambling our money away. And I think that that sort of comment, it tells you what these people were thinking. It may not have been their intention to screw over Wall Street, perhaps, but they clearly did want to do this. They knew what they were doing. They were very much ready to do this, and I think it's interesting because of course we've had a lot of reaction from this uh and one of the key reactions came from robin hood which decided to basically block it and it led to a 55 percent dip in a day which is crazy when you think about the figures but of course since then it's gone back up uh and major hedge hedge funds generally speaking had bet millions of billions of dollars sorry that the short that the shares would fall and they didn't they just went up because of these guys other firms, of course, such as BlackBerry, have also seen sharp gains. And it's interesting because this, is, this was where day traders really took the game to the hedge funds. And it's, it's been the story that I think has been really interesting. Because in, in one, on one hand, of course, you, you, you're rooting for the little guy. You want him to do well. But is this the way we take on Wall Street? Good question. Um, it's, a, it's an interesting political argument, of course. It's the way I'm taking on Wall Street.
0: <laughs> I, I joined in. Why not?
2: Yeah. Well, one of the people that's famously commenting on it, and of course, shared the subreddit, was Elon Musk, our meme, meme star. <laughs> um, <laughs> They're so obsessed with Elon Musk. They are very obsessed with Elon Musk. And, you know, he, he came out and said, here come the shorty apologists. Give them no respect. Get shorty. Uh, but yeah, this, this is very interesting. And of course, I think in the long term, this is going to see a rise in more people taking up investing like this and not just seeing it as for the man with the hedge fund.
0: Yeah I think yeah you're absolutely right if if anything it's just opened a lot of people's eyes that they can make well firstly make money uh, and secondly just kind of that they have some influence over the markets and they can join in regardless of who they are
2: yeah well moving on from that I think you know I think I've had enough in my political brain of thinking about stocks so I'd rather move on to some humor and there's no better humor than of course fox news sue me so this week, Fox News, on my birthday, no less. Thank you for this, Jim. Uh, Jim Jordan, who's the representative of Ohio, was being interviewed. Uh, and he said an interesting thing. So here, I'm going to play the clip for you.
1: Joining us tonight, Republican Congressman Jim Jordan of Ohio. He led President Trump's defense during impeachment proceedings in the House earlier this month. Congressman, it is good to see you. So now what? Good to be with you. Yeah, good to be with you, Maria. Well... <laughs> <laughs> Well, I mean, look, first, the case is so ridiculous. I mean, how do, how do, how do you incite a riot that was already planned? How do you uh, incite a breach of the Capitol that happened before the president even completed his speech? And how does, how can you charge the president with inciting uh, violence at the Capitol when he told the people at the rally to peacefully and patriotically make their voices heard? THEY HAVE NEVER STOPPED GOING AFTER THIS PRESIDENT EVEN NOW THAT HE'S ALREADY LEFT AND THE AMERICAN PEOPLE SEE IT FOR WHAT IT IS. IT'S PURE POLITICS AND IT'S WRONG. PURE POLITICS BUT IT IS ALSO uh, ACCOMPANIED BY BIG TECH WHO ARE CANCELING TRUMP ASSOCIATES AND CANCELING uh, TRUMP SUPPORTERS. YOU'VE SEEN IT. WE LOOK AT SOCIAL MEDIA AND IT'S FEELING LIKE COMMUNIST CHINA. WHAT ARE YOU GOING TO DO ABOUT IT? No. No, it's, it's it's scary what's going on. I mean, during the uh, President Biden's inauguration, there were some things that he said in that in those in his speech that I thought were appropriate when he talked about unifying. But frankly, it's hard to unify when you're impeaching a president who's already left office. It's hard to unify when the left is trying to cancel 75 million people from speaking their mind and engaging in their First Amendment liberties and having a real debate in this country. So, look, we're, we're going to have to look at the Section 230. That has to be changed at a minimum. We may have to look at, at, at the Antitrust issue and breaking these companies up—all those things need to be on the table. Because what what is going on with the attack on the First Amendment? I mean, I've said this. I've said this in committee. Do you really have a First Amendment when only one side's allowed to talk? So there you heard it, Jim Jordan. He said some very interesting things there. Of course, he talked a bit about the First
2: Amendment. He talked about the impact of social media companies silencing President Trump and silencing his supporters. Um, And he said, you know, the insurrection was planned. You can't blame it on the president, and you can't impeach him. Of course. Well, what do you think about that, Matt? What do you think about the, the, the attack on the First Amendment? Of course, a huge, huge claim. Uh,
0: yeah, this is one of the, one of the arguments that I'm, I'm most sick of hearing. It's, it's absolute uh, nonsense. But Trump has, well, when he was in office, Trump had a press room, essentially, in his house. Uh, he can speak to the nation at any time he wants. And even now that he's out of office, he can speak to the nation any time he wants because all he has to do is jump on... Fox News or Newsmax or OAN, uh, or, or just put out a press release and it'll inevitably be picked up. So he's, he's definitely able to spread his message. He can talk freely. He's definitely not being censored. And the idea that this private company has blocked him and therefore he's lost his First Amendment rights is just absolutely ridiculous. I, I, I do understand that it's worrying that a private company has total control over who speaks when they have so many users. I get that because it is at this point, it's like a little mini country and they're essentially deciding who gets to be part of it. So I I agree. That's a worrying thing, but to say that he's lost his first amendment rights is crazy because he hasn't, he can still talk anywhere he wants. And, And to be honest as well, he should have been banned a long time ago. He, the thing he got banned for, I didn't think was actually that bannable.
2: Well, I think there's many things that President Trump has said over his time which were contentious. And in my view, the only reason they were sticky was still there was because he held the title of POTUS. Of course, at our point, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, they all felt a need to step in. And I think it's going to be very interesting because we all know President Trump, how much he loves his social media. And if he does choose to run again in 2024, of course, we've got a very divided GOP that will have to decide, and they, they're worried about impeaching him, like, like, you know, like we said earlier, because if they impeach him, what happens in the long term in four years? You know, a, a vast majority of the party do support President mm-hmm. Trump still, and they're going to lose those voters because they might go to the Patriot Party, another meme, by the way, which popped up this week, um, uh, start in, started and in sort of famously endorsed by Sarah Huckabee Sanders, a very potent supporter of President Trump. So we've got a, we've got a vast majority of stuff going on, and I think I think there's a there's a general consensus among the GOP at this point where if they if they impeach him then it looks like they they're the first he's the first convicted president nixon didn't get convicted he resigned <laughs> so you've got you've got this entire thing going on here so it's a, it, the GOP and is a, is GOP generally is in a very bad place win or lose and they they they're, they're very divided and i'm not sure how it, the next 4 years are going to pan out for them but it's going to be something to watch for us Absolutely. I welcome,
0: to be honest, I welcome them splitting into the Patriot Party or whatever the final version of that ends up being called. Uh, I think if anything, it, well, firstly, it splits the Republican vote, which is only good for Democrats. Uh, and for Republicans, I think it's a great way of separating out the Trump-loving kind of almost cult-like supporters into one party and keeping the more sensible Republicans in the in the main party in the GOP, so I think if anything,
2: I think it's great. Yeah, it's it's a very interesting scenario, of course, for Republicans, where you know, I joke. President Biden came out uh, on the inauguration day, famously saying that you know he wants to unify, he wants to reach out to everyone across the aisle. But I think there's a general consensus among both Republicans, in some sense, voters at least, and um, and among the U.S. Uh, you know Democratic forces and, and politicians and lawmakers. That you know you can't reach out to those who incite insurrection, and I think that's a key place for us to end on in some ways because insurrection is the name of the game in U.S. politics. It's the one thing that's going to be remembered of mostly of President Trump's long, tedious era. Um, and I think, you know, when we look back on President Trump, I'm going to see the fires outside the Capitol. I'm going to see journalists' cameras being burned. I'm going to see the reports by ITV. I'm, su- I'm not sure if you saw it, but of course, you know, where he, where it, they go inside the Capitol building. I'm going to see the scenes yep. from all of that. And it's going to be an interesting period for American history. And we are here for it because this, this is a time where America is going to have to rebuild. It's going to have to find its identity again. We look, we, we as Brits and as a country, we always look to America for leadership. That leadership hasn't been there. And I think in a whole sense that this, this, whether it's the GOP or the Dems, I think there is a general need for America to heal and rebuild because the whole world is watching them now. Absolutely. Yeah. And I think
0: they've, this idea of unity that Joe Biden's meant to unify the parties, and bring the sides together. It's absolutely a two way street. It only goes as far as the Republicans are going to let it go. So if they really do want unity and they really do want america as a nation to heal they're gonna have to compromise a little bit and at the moment it kind of feels like joe biden has to unify with a party who still doesn't even accept that he's the genuine president
2: well i think i think it's going to be an interesting few years then if if i feel like they have to accept it at some point i feel like it's impossible not to but again i think the gop first of all if they want to unify their voters if they want to get grassroots support if they want to have any chance in four years because if joe biden's presidency goes as well as he anticipates we don't know and we can only watch but if, if it goes well as he anticipates you've got a good chance of him getting the next four years or kamala harris getting the next four years or whoever it is from the democratic party but the de- the, Republic for, for the republican party for the gop they need to find their broad church. They need to find their common ground. They need to find a candidate which isn't President Trump. And I think that's the bottom line, uh, for, I guess, which we're going to be looking for. Yeah, I agree. And
0: they, they, they've got two paths they can go down, one with Trump, one without. And it's, uh, it's kind of up to them to pick one because they're, they're vastly different.
2: Well, I think we've reached our time for today. And it's been a pleasure talking to you, Matt. And I'm looking forward to more episodes of this.
0: It's been great. And thanks to everyone for tuning in to the very first episode. Uh, And we will see you soon. Take care.